Thank you guys so much for listening to the Collegian Cultivate podcast. My name is Pete, and today I'm talking to Dr. Stephen Higgs, who is the director of the Biosecurity Research Institute on campus. Um, how you doing, Dr. Higgs? I think you told me the other day that you had about six Zoom calls. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Uh, good to talk with you, Pete. Um, yeah, lo- lots of Zoom calls every day. I think the day you phoned me, I'd had six just that day. They kind of pile up, and then the emails come in at an alarming rate. Uh, well, thank you so much. Part, for, part of working at home. <laughs> yeah. Are you doing well working at home? Yeah, I've, I've adapted. Um, I've I've sort of tried to maintain my, my normal pattern of getting up at, I don't know, 5, 5.30, something like that, and mm-hmm. um, trying, to, trying to finish work by 5 or 6 at night, but then things still trickle in, so uh, some of them need your attention, some of them don't. But I'm adapting okay. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for uh, making time to do this podcast. Um, could you explain just what, just kind of briefly, what the BRI is and what you guys do? Mm, sure. So, the uh, Biosecurity Research Institute—it's a facility that is wholly owned and operated by K-State, so it's not owned by the government. It does very special types of research on what we call high consequence pathogens. So, we 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 do research, education, and training on all sorts of different pathogens. The ones that we've been focusing on up until recently have been things like African swine fever and classical swine fever, Japanese encephalitis, Rift Valley fever. They're all pathogens that affect animals. And then we work on uh, some of those that infect humans as well. Mm-hmm. We also work on plant-borne or plant diseases and food-borne diseases. Um, and like I say, we have education and training related to that. And it's it's a unique type of facility anywhere in the world. And um, got a staff of about 38 people there and, oh, 25 researchers from different groups on campus and their research teams come and work there. So it, it's, it's a phenomenal facility. Yeah. Um, Working on vaccines, diagnostics, basic research, all sorts of things. Gotcha. Awesome. So I know you had told me the other day that you're not necessarily an expert on COVID-19, but I thought that your just your general knowledge of diseases could be helpful for people to understand this one. Uh, we'll see if you're right. Yeah, I'm not an expert. It's not a virus that I've worked um, closely with in, in the past, but uh, yeah, our type of research that we do relates to exactly what this is you know a, a mm-hmm. rapidly emerging pathogen that um is spreading and infecting a lot of different people and, and killing a lot unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah so i was wondering could you clarify like the different names and abbreviations for the disease like <laughs> I, like at first we called it coronavirus but then we heard that there were different strains of it already around before and then we started calling it COVID 19 yeah. but i've also heard like sars 2 covi something yeah, sure. Um, so this group of viruses, um, the, the coronaviruses, uh, they get their name from from the Latin meaning corona, means a crown or a halo. And that's because if you look at these viruses in infected cells or, or whatever, under really high magnification, electron microscopy, they look as though they have a halo around. So that's, that's that part of the name. Okay. And then... There's actually quite a few different types of coronaviruses. So there are uh, specific ones that infect cows and pigs, dogs, cats, ferrets, rabbits, turkeys. 
And then there are at least seven that infect people. Um, and then uh, most of those are sort of uh, causing uh, cold-like symptoms or, or actually colds, and they can progress to pneumonia. They're always around. They infect adults and, and children, and there are things that are called, you know, H. COVID 229, NL 63, different names and numbers. So when you ask about the, the names, um, the bad one that first really arose, if I can say bad one in a, a general term, was this thing called severe acute respiratory syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get the name SARS from. Yeah. All right. So it appeared in, in China in 2002 um and the name tells you exactly what it does you get Uh it's respiratory so it's in the respiratory tracts in the lungs and so forth and it causes a severe acute syndrome um there were oh almost eight and a half thousand cases and um the fatality rate so the number of or the proportion of people that it infects and kills is just over 10%. Um, so that is SARS virus, mm-hmm. um, the, the original one. All right. Um, an, odd, an odd thing is it, it's disappeared. <laughs> uh. um, since 2004, there's basically been no cases. Um, it, it appeared to have come from... Uh, from bats in China, but it also infected these things called civet cats. Um, but like I say, it, 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 since 2002 to like 2004, it caused about eight and a half thousand cases, mm-hmm. um, almost 800 deaths in 17 different countries. A lot of travelers came. So that's SARS. And then we have something called MERS. Um, which you've probably heard about. Uh-huh. And that is um, not not to be uh, confused with MRSA, you know, the, that, that which we also call MERS. This is a thing called Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Uh-huh. So this is MERS. Um, it occurred first in Saudi Arabia, also probably from bats. Um, it appeared from nowhere in, in 2012. Um, it's much more dangerous than SARS. So the the fatality rate for MERS is almost 40%, about 37%. So you've got SARS, which is about 10%. This is almost 40. Um, since 2012, there's been oh, uh, almost 2,500 cases. We still get some of these every year. Um, fairly restricted into that Middle East area and camels can be involved. And then we have the new virus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This one that we call, the virus name is SARS-CoV-2, SARS-Coronavirus-2. Okay. Um, Now the disease is what we are calling COVID-19. Got it. So COVID-19 is what what we're talking about when we talk about the disease mm. and the virus that causes the disease is the SARS-CoV-2, coronavirus-2. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's called SARS-2 because it's quite genetically closely related to the SARS 
the original SARS um, back in 2002. So is that a good enough description, Pete, um, on on the names? Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Um, So was there any way looking at like these previous viruses, was there any way to tell that this one was coming? No. Um, (laughs) If only, right? Um, And these things just crop up from nowhere. I mean, what you do know is there will probably be another one of these viruses that comes from nowhere. Yeah. But you don't know where and you don't know when, which, of course, is incredibly difficult when you're trying to prepare a country um, for the next one because you can you can get sort of, let's say, countermeasures and preparations ready, um, right. but then... You never know when you're going to need them. So mm-hmm. we we couldn't see this one coming. Um, although, of course, uh, you know we uh, America, you know many other countries around the world knew that this was happening in China as of late December. So um, you know we didn't know all the biology of it. We didn't know. Uh, how transmissible it was or really how fatal it was. Uh, we just, just didn't have that information from China. But we very soon after the beginning of the year knew that it was it, w- it was something bad. Uh-huh. And then soon after we knew it was uh, contagious, infecting between people. So at that point, the warning was there. We knew that... Um, uh, a new virus had arisen in China. We'd seen in the past from from SARS that these viruses can can spread fairly explosively, mainly through you know international travel and trade, which is exactly what happened with with the first SARS. Uh-huh. Um, it's happened with MERS. So from that perspective, once we knew it was in China and it was infecting a lot of people and killing people kind of the writing was on the wall that it was going to start occurring in in other countries and of course we have a lot of travelers coming into the state so we should have realized that it was was on its way gotcha so i think you said earlier that there are like seven different types of it that can infect people is that right well, there are seven different coronaviruses. Okay. You know, I, I mean, that's uh, in, in a way sort of different species, as, as we would call them, mm-hmm. um, that infect people. And most of those, you know, some of those are circulating all the time, giving people cold symptoms. Um, most of them are relatively harmless. Um, but obviously, the, the SARS, the MERS, and the SARS CoV 2 are much more serious. Right. Does that mean that it needs seven different vaccines, or how does that work? Well, um, those um, those other well-known ones uh-huh. are, like I say, not particularly dangerous. There aren't vaccines for them, so there hasn't been the sort of effort to to develop vaccines for those mm-hmm. because you know they infect adults and and kids all around the world all the time sort of thing um and don't have typically don't have serious consequences gotcha okay so what is the one that we're looking for a vaccine for 
so um so they started uh developing vaccines for for the original SARS mm. um but like I say that has has kind of disappeared from nowhere so the emphasis to get a vaccine for that has diminished um I don't there is no vaccine for MERS so far, but obviously this new virus, the SARS-CoV-2, has infected so many people and killed so many people that the whole world wants a vaccine for it, and we need one for that. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a lot of effort going on in, in that area, obviously. Yeah. In vaccine. Do you know what the progress on looking for a vaccine is at this point? Oh, so I, um, I read articles all so, around the world about it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Uh, um, yeah, I was looking this morning. Um, you know, we're going to talk. So, so Tony Fauci, the head of NIAID, National yeah. Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases here in the states, you know, has kind of predicted that there may not be a vaccine for. 12 to 18 months um Mm -hmm. it's not just developing the vaccine that takes a long time it's it's doing all the testing right um and i sort of scanned some of the literature recently and there's 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 at least five or six different companies and groups um trying to develop vaccines um you know everybody wants to be the first but everybody needs to be the best Uh so there are various vaccines in development at the moment um you've probably heard that you know some people have actually volunteered to be testing some of these vaccines Mm -hmm. so when a when a vaccine is developed obviously not only does it have to be um effective at protecting people but it obviously has to have a, a well-proven safety record and so there are different stages of testing um drugs and vaccines to ensure that they work and they're safe to give to people um and some of these vaccines which are being worked on at the moment are at we what are at the early stages of testing what we call phase one so that's where you get um you know a, a group of a small, relatively small group, perhaps, of healthy people, um, and then you vaccinate them and and give them the virus to see if they're protected. Gotcha. Um, so, can you explain what an antibody test is? Sure. Um, so, when you get infected with with a virus or you know even even bacteria and different diseases your body um is obviously trying to protect itself from infection because you know these infections kill so in response to having this foreign thing in your body our immune system produces antibodies and those are basically uh let's call them molecules that um that float around in your in your blood system and in other other organs and so when when you're exposed you can develop these specific antibodies so your body produces antibodies against the pathogen um the purpose of those antibodies is then to either bind or 
we can say bind to the to the pathogen the next time you see it so typically you have to be infected in order to develop these antibodies or vaccinated same thing uh-huh. um and then your body produces antibodies and those antibodies will bind to the to to the pathogen when you next are exposed to it and hopefully protect you from from it kind of running away and and getting different organs infected mm-hmm. is that sort of clear enough is that simple enough for you yeah i think so thank you okay can so how can a disease that like has only been a problem with an like from what i've read like it was like it had been around in animals for a long time but it only recently started infecting humans like is that is that the case and how does it and how did it only recently start infecting humans so the truth is we don't know so uh. almost 70 percent, something like that of diseases which you know are, are new uh the vast majority of those uh, are what we call zoonotic. They infect other animals, and then for some reason they start to infect people. Now, the typical reason, and maybe this is what, what's happening with SARS-CoV-2 and, and SARS and, and MERS, is that um, susceptible people get in contact with the animals that are being infected. Uh, you know, and this has happened with... Um, viruses for hundreds of years if you, if you like um you know it's, they make this uh step from animals to people by people getting in close contact with with animals um they're called zoonotic i can't remember whether i, I said that already but they're zoonotic because they're animals and people and um sometimes it's uh you know, mutations occur that can make the virus more susceptible, more infectious to people or more easily transmitted. And other times, um, it, it doesn't need a lot of changes. It just needs that, um, that kind of critical step where people go into uh, a situation where they get exposed to it from, from the first time. Um, is, is that okay, Pete? Yeah. Um, so what is this I hear about different like strains of it evolving and changing? Is that a concern for the future? Yeah, um, I've, re- I've been hearing about that. I've, I've, I've read about it. Uh-huh. Um, it, isn't, it doesn't seem to be changing um, or evolving specifically different mutations to be more infectious to people from what I've read. Mm. You know, all of these viruses um, are a whole, you know, they have a basic genetic um, sequence, uh, a genome, if you like. You know, so they have basic, uh, a common uh, genetic sequence. Um, but within within those viruses there's lots of little variations um it's i don't know how do i explain it uh you know like you know all all people are different we all have a unique sequence well but we're all people well these viruses have have certain variations of their sequence um that doesn't mean it's a different virus it just means that it's variations on a theme um and these these uh 
These can change over time. So this is the problem with the common cold, uh, influenza. Um, mm-hmm. It has an amazing capacity to change, and it changes in response to infecting people. Yeah. So what you're vaccinated against one year is ever so slightly different to what you get the next year. And then those antibodies that, that we talked about earlier don't don't work against the new type. Um, from what I've read, we have not really seen those drastic changes genetically in this virus yet, but we are seeing variation, which is which is typical of, of all the viruses. Right. All right. How likely do you think a second wave of this is? Because, like, I mean, for a while I heard, well, for a while I heard that, like, when some, when summertime came and it was hotter outside, that that was going to, like, kill it for a while, but then it was going to come back in the fall. But then I heard that actually that wasn't true at all with this one because the virus was, like, <laughs> doing well in, in hotter places of the world. But then I started hearing that, you know what, that actually is true. Like, what do you know about that? <laughs> You know what, Pete? You know, one of the, the, I I was going to say, dangerous or stupid things to do is to make predictions about any of these things because (laughs) from what I've seen over, from what I've seen over the years, um, you hear all these experts making predictions. Um, half of them seem to be wrong half of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I said to somebody the other day, the ones that are right, you you wonder if that's sort of, a, a certain amount of luck um it's difficult to predict mm-hmm. um will we get a second wave um i don't know i don't i don't think anybody knows um you know i i honestly think that the sort of the policies that we've we've had put in place of social distancing and wearing face masks have definitely reduced the rate of spread. Yeah. Um, I think we've been very good here, here in, here in Manhattan and here in Kansas. You know, we've been, we've, we've been following the rules. Um, but as those rules start to get relaxed, it's not like this virus is going to suddenly, oh, there's a prediction, isn't it? That's dangerous. I was going <laughs> to say it's not like this is going to disappear because SARS did disappear. Right. I don't suspect that this one will disappear because it's so widespread. It's so much more widespread than SARS was, and there's so 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 many more people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you look at something like West Nile virus, which came into the United States um, in 1999, um, that is a virus that is is zoonotic, so it's a bigger problem than than the SARS-CoV-2 that we're seeing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's established permanently in america and we've had huge peaks of of infections and then it seems to to die down and then a few years later you get another peak um uh-huh. so <sighs> it it isn't over yet for sure uh we are going to continue to get more cases mm-hmm. and if people start going out and mixing just like we used to, at least at this stage, um, there, there, there could be a second wave. But who knows when and who knows how many people will be on that on that wave, whether it will mm. be a flood or whether it will be, you know, a mild increase in, in cases. Right. Um, not a good answer and not a very precise <laughs> one, but I, I mean... 
Nobody, nobody really knows. Nobody can be right. sure about that. Right. Yeah. I know it is something that it is a situation that is changing and we can only follow it as best we can. Um, can is there anything that you guys at the BRI are doing in terms of research on it or working on a vaccine or anything like that? Yeah, uh, we've got... So So one of the things that is happening at the BRI is that we had the... Uh, the College of Vet Medicine's Veterinary Diagnostic Lab take over three, four rooms in the BRI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we needed to have increased testing capacity for the community. And so that lab um, has set up and has got approval and is, is actually testing human cases or human serum uh-huh. every day now. Uh, and maybe not at the weekends, but... So we've got that going on. So we're we're contributing in that way to the community, and then we have a, we we do have a couple of research projects which are going on at the moment um, by College of Vet Med professors. Um, one of those is uh, Dr. Jurgen Richt. He we we chatted the other day, Pete, and and um, we we talked a little bit about you know can this virus infect companion animals and and livestock? Yeah. Um, there have been a few cases of people's dogs and cats, and now even ferrets, dogs and cats being uh-huh. infected, or at least showing signs that they have been infected. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there has been no cases where somebody, a person, has been infected by one of these domestic animals or pets. Okay. Um, but Dr. Richt and his team is, is doing research, is uh, sort of testing to see if other animals are susceptible, you know, very important information to know. Um, and he was actually a co-author on a very nice publication um, just a few days ago in a journal called Vector Born and Zoonotic Diseases that I'm an editor for. And that was a, a really nice review of all of the cases to date of infections in companion animals, livestock and and you know domesticated animals mm-hmm. and it, it was with suggestions of uh what sort of research needs to be done to get the answers because with any new virus um we may think we know about it based <laughs> on what we know about related viruses but they can be different you know they, mm-hmm. they these viruses uh, being anthropomorphic they they don't read the rule books and they don't follow those rules sometimes so they're just they can be different even though they're similar to something that we we think we know all about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if and if people want a copy of that um that publication that i that i mentioned it's actually uh freely available online i can give you well actually i've already given you the um the uh, the the link to that if uh, yeah. if, if people you, are interested. Could you just say what it's called again? Can, so it's in the journal called Vectorborne and Zoonotic Diseases, uh-huh. and it is a and it is a review. So you just type in Vectorborne and Zoonotic Diseases. It's a Marianne Liebert publication, and you can go onto the website and um, that particular paper was considered it was so important to the community that it was actually made freely available oh, wow. online. Uh-huh. Cool. 
Um, All right. And then we've, and, and then at the BRI, we've got lots of other people sort of looking to see, uh, trying to get funding for, for other research, um, all related to developing diagnostics, vaccines and treatments for, uh, for this new SARS-CoV-2 virus. Mm-hmm. So lots of things going on. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, I hope it all goes well for you and you guys at the BRI. Uh, best of luck in finding whatever you guys can find. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say? Um, no, just just thank you, Pete. Nice to chat with you again. I appreciate the interest and uh, and your um, you know your support of, of the BRI and of, of K State and of what we do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Doctor Higgs. I really, really appreciate it, and I hope it goes well for you. All right. Hey, thanks very much, Pete. Nice chatting to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening.